Well, turn with with me this morning to Exodus chapter 6, 5 even, and it starts like this. Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, this is what the Lord, the, the God of Israel says, let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, who is the Lord? that I should obey him and let Israel go. I don't know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. And then they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God, or he may strike us with plagues or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to your work. And then Pharaoh said, look, The the people of the land are now numerous and you're stopping them from working. And that same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and overseers in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That is why they're crying out. Let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Make the work harder for the people so that they keep working and pay no attention to lies. And then the slave drivers and the overseers went out and said to the people, this is what Pharaoh says. I will not give you any more straw. Go and get your own straw wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced at all. So the people scattered all over Egypt to gather stubble to use for straw. And the slave drivers kept pressing them saying, complete the work required for you each day just as when you had straw. And Pharaoh's slave drivers beat the Israelite overseers they had appointed, demanding, why haven't you met your quota of bricks yesterday or today as before? And then the Israelite overseers went and appealed to Pharaoh, why have you treated your servants this way? Your servants are given no straw. Yet we're told, make bricks. Your servants are being beaten, but the fault is with your own people. And Pharaoh said, lazy. Lazy, that's what you are, lazy. That's why you keep saying, let's go and sacrifice to the Lord. Now get to work. You will be not be given any straw, yet you must produce your full quota of bricks. And the Israelite overseers realized they were in trouble when they were told you not to reduce the number of bricks required of you for each day. And when they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them. And they said, may the Lord look on you and judge you. You have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh. And his officials and put a sword in their hand to kill us. And Moses returned to the Lord and said, Why, Lord, have you brought trouble on this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he's brought trouble on this people. And you have not rescued your people at all. And then the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of this country. And God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan where they resided as foreigners. And moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. 
I will free you from being slaves to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people. I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. And Moses reported this to the Israelites. But they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and hard labor. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go out of this country. But Moses said to the Lord, If the Israelites will not listen to me, why would Pharaoh listen to me since I speak with faltering lips? Let's just ask the Lord to speak to us. Father God, just thank you that you're here. And we ask you to speak our hearts, open the eyes of our hearts by your Holy Spirit. Give us understanding. Help us see you more clearly. Because we want to follow you more nearly, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. If Jesus is our Passover lamb, and the Apostle Paul says that he is, then we can take the book of Exodus as a kind of illustration of salvation in Christ. And that's the plan, that's what we're doing. As long as we tread carefully and recognise that Moses' relationship with God and Israel's relationship with God don't necessarily progress at the same rate. So we can treat it like this. We can say we were slaves. As they were slaves. Stuck without power. In slavery because of a decision made made generations ago. So if your view of Christianity is that you've committed yourself to Christ, that was the decision of allegiance that, that you made, and you're trying your best to walk in his ways, then you have missed the point. Because that's moralism or stoicism or Victorianism or something, but it's not Christianity. Christian journey started when you realised you were stuck in the wrong place. You were stuck in the wrong country. You were in the country of, uh, of self and sin, and ultimately in the country of Satan, not in the kingdom of light, and, and therefore you were under God's judgment, with absolutely nothing you could do about it. You were bound by a, a greater power. And that's where Christianity starts. And then somewhere... It, uh, in that understanding, and I'm not suggesting that these things necessarily happen in, in this order. Theologians argue about these things anyway. But if you were Christian, then some point in the past you had some kind of realisation of God's transcendence. You remember we talked about God's otherness, God's, God's I guess God's majesty and, and fire as Moses met him in the burning bush and it was so holy, has to take off his sandals. At some point, you met God in his transcendence, in, in his otherness his blazing purity and that goes without recognition that you're powerless in sin and in the wrong place and not right with God and and do you know what I can remember that night in my life when that happened and I realised I was wrong with God and only then do you glimpse somewhere in that his imminence the 
that there is a solution, that God comes down, that God wants to rescue, that God sends Christ. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. So, before we go on, I forgot to kind of um, produce you a, a word search today. Okay. So, if you're one of the people who likes the word search, can I suggest an alternative? Um, you guys are here. Uh, you might want to go with that. Um, pick the um, prayer card out of the, out of the pew in front of you um, and do it for yourself. I don't mean create a word search. That might be a bit ambitious. But, but, but just one word off each slide. When we get to the slide, one word you think which is the, the important word off the slide um, and write it down. So this story of Exodus, it's, in a sense, it's our story. We were slaves, we met God transcendent, uh, we met God imminent. We met Jesus Christ, his son, as a saviour. And I think, as I sort of reflect on this, that that's part of the function uh, of the Old Testament, to reveal God in his transcendence. To reveal humanity's predicament, that even when we're told about God and told what to do, we can't do the right thing. And to start to lay a pattern for God's imminence, what it will look like when God comes. I think that's a significant function of the Old Testament. So that when God with us, Emmanuel, Jesus arrives, we understand who he is and therefore comprehend the magnitude of what has happened. Imagine there was no Old Testament. Then what would you think? A baby's born? Yes, okay, a baby who grows up to do, do miracles. Would we appreciate that this is mighty God? I don't think so. But anyway, that's by and by. So we, we're following this story through, aren't we? And we see in it a kind of uh, a reflection uh, of our own Christian journey. Um, it's, it's a rescue from slavery. It's a meeting with God transcendent. It's a meeting with God imminent in Christ. What happens next? Everything is hunky-dory and life goes on just in, in bliss, doesn't it? Well, no. Next thing that happens. In Moses' story, he's met with God, been called by God. First thing that happens is a massive ministry failure, uh, at least on the surface. Moses says to Pharaoh, um, God says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says to Moses, go back to work. And what do you imagine goes through Moses' mind at that point? All my worst fears have come true, I would think. This is precisely what I was frightened about. That I would go and I would speak and nothing would change. I spoke up, I got slapped down. I think that's what goes through Moses' mind. This was my worst fear. And there's an interesting parable, you see, uh, parallel, because Moses is called to be God's mouthpiece and God's mediator. Okay, that's clear. And in that, he foreshadows Christ. And actually, the New Testament makes that explicit, Acts 3. You know when Peter goes to the temple, Peter and John, and they heal the lame man, and the famous song about him, well, he gets up in, and he jumps around. And he's a happy guy. And when Peter's explaining that, he says, Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a, a prophet like me from among your own people. So this is Peter 
talking about Moses. And Moses saying that there will be another prophet. And Peter says that's Jesus. So you can follow that through in, in Acts 3. So Peter says that when Moses says there will be another prophet like me, he means Jesus. So the New Testament explicitly makes this connection that Moses foreshadows Christ in this ministry of being a prophet. I want to stop there. Just um, think for a moment. This is not allegory. When we say that Exodus is our story, I, I guess our minds go, go to kind of, uh, where, we, where do we encounter this, this kind of phenomenon? You know, and you think of the writings of, of maybe C.S. Lewis. And, and C.S. Lewis writes allegory. Okay, he writes something which speaks about the Christian story, but he puts it in, in other terms, in terms of Narnia and, and, and Aslan and all that kind of thing. And we call that an allegory. But an allegory is written after the event, and an allegory is fictional. What is happening here is something completely different. So here's Jesus, Jesus' ministry on the cross, and, and here's C.S. Lewis, and he writes something which is an allegory. Here's something different. Here's Christ. And before Christ comes, God has written about him in history. Now, it's not allegory, okay, because it is real. There's a real historical events, and they happen beforehand. And actually, there is a word for it, which you don't really need to know, but it, the word is typology. And what a type was well, comes from a Greek word meaning a stamp, amongst other things. And a stamp, you know, like if you've got a... When did you last do stamping? Probably with plasticine. Or, um, you know, if you're really posh, you seal your letters. I doubt anybody does that anymore. Um, but a stamp makes an impression. And this is what this is. It's an impression in history. God has stamped an impression of Christ into history. I, I wonder, but I, can't, I don't know, well, whether that's where we get the word typewriter from. You know, there is this thing that makes an impression. And then you get the letter. And so this is a kind of type, kind of stamped into history, which uh, Moses, Passover, which speaks to us about Christ. You don't desperately need to know all that, except see what is happening. And understanding that if, if Moses foreshadows Christ, and then in Christ you have the ministry of being a mouthpiece and a mediator as well. And so you... I would imagine have had some of this experience of, of Moses. Being a mouthpiece, maybe where you work or maybe amongst your family and you've said something and, it's, and you're going to go, it's not worked. And you think, all oh, my worst fears have come true. I've said something and, and nothing happened. Well, I want you to be reassured because it happened to Moses. <laughs> and we need to understand why. Okay, and this is what happens when I run my own PowerPoint. It all goes wrong. But the reason I'm trying it is so that you don't read the bottom of the slide before I got there. You see what I mean? But maybe it's not working. You can tell me afterwards which is more helpful. To have one that doesn't come up at the right time. Or one where you get it all in advance and you read to the bottom before I get there. You, come, you can tell me afterwards. So did Moses fail because he got things wrong? Well, he was supposed to take the elders of Israel, and he didn't. He's supposed to say that God has met with him, which was kind of like a recognized formula. I've had a divine message. And then ask for a three-day journey for a festival. Well, he doesn't take the elders, and then he gets the other two the wrong way around. 
Is that why he's failed? Well, it's probably true to say that Moses doesn't understand precision obedience yet. But that's not the point. Moses has already been told that Pharaoh's going to say no. It's to do with the hardness of Pharaoh's heart. So that success in Moses' first mission here is not measured by the success. If you see what I mean. The success of Moses' mission is not measured by his success is not measured by what happens to Pharaoh. It's measured by whether Moses does what he's been asked to do or not. And that's one of those really important principles for, for ministry. Success is not in what the fruit is. Success is whether you've done what you're asked to do or not. And it's the same with you as it is with Moses, as it is with Jesus. Jesus comes, and what does he say? I came to do my Father's will. And he does his Father's will perfectly, and everybody responds? No. Some people respond, and some don't. So it's important. When you go out there and you speak up, you, you know, summoned up all your courage and you've spoken out for Christ, particular situation, and you say, nothing's happened. And you think, oh, I've failed. You have not failed. You have succeeded. You have done what you were, you've done what you were asked to do. And the rest is with the Lord. So Moses apparently is, has failed and Pharaoh asks this crucial question, who is the Lord? He has lots of gods with lots of names. Why should I? Who is Yahweh? <laughs> that is a kind of fateful question. Because you know what? He's going to go. He's going to find out. He really is going to find out in the most painful way possible. The stage is set and the battle lines are drawn. And Pharaoh goes on the attack. Goes on the offensive. Makes the Israelites work harder. But in that, did you notice he calls God a liar? Go back to work, work harder, and stop believing in, in lies. Either Moses or God is, is lying to you. This, this is a fiction. And the order comes down from Pharaoh, presumably to his slave drivers, then there are Israelite overseers, and then the Israelites, the order comes down. Oops. No straw, same number of bricks. And the people respond. The order goes down, and the complaint comes back up the line. I don't know actually who stood in Pharaoh's presence. It sounds like the Israelite overseers did. Maybe they did. And they say, why are you treating us like this? It's your fault there's no straw. And Pharaoh's response is really curt. He says, serve me. No service for the Lord. It's really interesting that the word is the same. And it happens both in Hebrew and, and in Greek. Um, you get this word for serve... Is the same as the word we would talk about worship. To dig that out. You can go back and dig that out. So there's a choice here. It's the same word. Are you going to serve me in making bricks or are you going to worship the Lord? And Pharaoh says, I make a claim that you serve me rather than you go and hold this service for the Lord. All along, I suppose, you see the Lord setting up Pharaoh almost as the Antichrist, isn't he? He's the, he's the, he's the anti-God. 
But the people don't see that. People say, may this Lord of yours judge you. They, they only see one thing. They, they see that life has got harder. And there's a, there's a little a verse. Let me see if I can dig it out. I can't remember where it comes. The, they says, but it says the, these rights didn't listen to Moses because of their discouragement and, and hard labour. Hard labour means that they can't keep their eyes on the promise. I wonder about you when life's hard, you manage to keep um, your, your eyes on the promise. Or does discouragement take your eyes off the promise of God and all you can see is that things are hard. And there's a couple of important lessons here. You have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh, the people say. You have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh. Well, can I just warn you that being a Christian makes you obnoxious to some people. To those people who don't want anything to do with God. And I hope you're not going to turn around to Christ and say, you have made me obnoxious. But it will make you obnoxious. Um, Paul says in 2 Corinthians, thanks be to God, he always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. So as we go out as people following Christ, in his procession as it were, uh, we spread the, the, the fragrance of the knowledge of Jesus. We are to God the aroma of Christ. Paul says, amongst those who are being saved and amongst those who are perishing. To one, we are the smell of death, and to the other, the fragrance of life. As you follow Christ, if you seriously follow Christ, if you follow Christ out there as well as in here, um, you create a fragrance. And to those who are, want life, it'll be the fragrance of life. To, the, to some, it'll be the stench of death, and you will get up their noses. Having become a Christian, you will get polarised responses. And the other thing, so that's one, the other, the other is that delay tests trust. Delay, or apparent delay, God's delay, not, or God's non-answer, or non-response to, to your request, tests your trust. And you see what the agent of Satan here wants? He wants to tell you it's a lie. That God is good and God is rest. <sighs> God wants to rescue you and wants to bless you. It's a lie. Who are you going to believe? Are you going to believe the voice of God or are you going to believe the voice of doubt? And in that time, who are you going to serve? Are you going to carry on with your worship in times when life is hard? I think quite often when life is hard, we give up worship And it's a, it's a dangerous place to be. But the other thing to learn, as we turn to Moses, are you going to grumble like the people did up to their leaders, or are you going to pray? Moses, we see, go, goes to prayer. And he's despairing and he's questioning, but he brings his complaint to the right place. Why, Lord, have you brought trouble on this people? 
Isn't this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh, he has brought trouble on this people. So I opened my mouth and nothing but trouble has come of it. And you have not rescued your people at all. It's quite strong, isn't it? And yet God is gracious in his response. One of my, uh, well, again, the same guy, my Bible college principal used to say, God is the complaints department. And I used to think that was a bit of an excuse, really. You know, uh, didn't really want, if you got something you wanted to complain about, you didn't really want to hear it. Um, But there's an element of truth. And God responds to Moses. And he says three things, very briefly. He says, I'm the Lord who keeps my promises. I have remembered my covenant. I made a promise. That promise is still in my mind. So God says, I've chosen, it says to you, I've chosen you. I've picked you. Promised to be good to you. I remember that promise. Okay, I have not forgotten. Made a promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I will keep it. They knew me as God Almighty, but not as the Lord. It's a strange comment. I haven't got time to look at it in detail because if you read back into Genesis, Genesis includes this name, the Lord. Now, it's possible that the author is reading that back in the same way you might talk about Muhammad Ali and you might talk about him in his childhood as Ali, even though his name was different. Or it's possible the author is reading it back. But more likely, the Lord says, you have not seen how my covenant name makes me act. Yet. You haven't seen what this name really means. And you will. When I rescue you, you will know that I am the Lord and you will know what that name means. You will know what that name means. He says also, he says, I am the Lord who, who rules. And it's amazing, if you read verse, verse 6 um, onwards, he says, I will bring you out with mighty acts. Uh, and he reassures them that he's in control. He says, listen to this, I am the Lord. I will bring you out. I will free you. I will redeem you. I will take you. I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So brackets it with the I am. You remember that glorious name of God who is free and and able to do whatever he wants to do. I am the Lord. He says this to you, okay, Uh, in, in whatever your trouble is. I am, I will, I will, I will, I will, and I will, and then you will know that I am. I am the Lord. He is the God who rules and he is the God who acts. And then you will know. So hang on in there with your trust. And he says, yeah, a cycle of growing trust. I suppose at the end, if you trust him, you will see him act. If you see him act, you will trust him more. And that's the cycle of how we grow in the Lord. We, we trust him and he acts and we know and we trust him more. He's the Lord who redeems. This is the first time we get the word redeem in the Bible. I will redeem you and take you uh, as my own people. And that's a story that continues through the Bible. God's taking a people um, for himself. Okay, that's what God is doing. Out of all this that he's created, he's, he's collecting people. <laughs> he, he's, he's gathering people who will trust him. 
and one day put them all together in a new heavens and a new earth and he will come and live among them. And you're one of them. And if you're not, well, the invitation is open. The invitation is to become one of them by just simply trusting Christ and what he's done on the cross for your forgiveness. Saying, I trust that, stake my life on it. I'm going to make him Lord. And the key thing I want you to do, go away this week, is to own this story. Start to say, okay, what does this story say about my story? Okay. What does this story say about Christ? And therefore, what does it say about my story in Christ? I think it's worth reflecting on slavery. I think unless we realise how deeply we were trapped, just won't appreciate what Christ uh, has done for us. Not going to go on about it again. But sin had you. Sin absolutely had you. Before you came to Christ. A, A Christian... A good Christian upbringing can go a long way to mitigating that and disguising that fact. But sin had you. And you need to know that and own that. So that you really know what it means that Christ has you now. But I want you to start reflecting on this story. And what is Christ? So what is God? What is the character of God in this? And I think next, next time, which is a fortnight's time, we come back to this story, you'll see who God is and what he does. But I want you to know for the moment that the God who splits the sea and holds it apart so that his, his people can walk through is the same God who comes in the person of Christ and the same God who sends the spirit of Christ to live within you this morning. Got to stop thinking this is some distant story or it's a story for children or it was something that happened in that time, the God who split this, and imagine kind of like there was, you know, some big walls of water on either side, and we, uh, and we walked down the middle. Same God who split the sea, puts his spirit within you, and walks through whatever you have this week. Allow a shiver to go down your spine. The God who can call 80-year-old Moses. International leadership is the same God who walks with you through your failing health. The God who burns with holiness so that Moses can't get close is the same God who walks with you in school and through whatever your anxieties are. The God who turns the Nile into blood goes with you into work this week. And the God who appears to them in a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire um, over the temple is the God who stands with you when you try to witness to your work colleagues and, and your friends and your family. It is the same God. And he keeps his promise as he did then. And he rules as he did then. And he redeems as he did then. Maybe you don't know him and there's God calling you. 
come on, come on, be one of my people. So I want you to start tracing your story in Exodus. Liberation, meeting God above us, meeting God among us. Then so often, the next thing happens is dark times. I remember that, becoming a Christian. Became a Christian, I remember that night. I remember the night of meeting God. I remember how dark it was afterwards. I remember knowing I cannot do this without the help of God. And in those dark times, and the dark times are all of us sooner or later, who are you going to believe? Whose word are you going to believe? Are you going to believe the voice of doubt? Which says, God's forgotten. It's all come to nothing. Or are you going to believe the promise of God, I am with you always, to the very end of the age? This is the God who goes to the cross, who understands dark times, and calls you out. Same God calls you to walk and to witness and to work with him.